Good morning. Um, we are so excited that you are here, and you made it. It's five after nine now, and you got your kids signed in, and you're sitting here, which is really pretty remarkable, I think, anyway. So we are so excited um, about this year and encouraged that we get to spend nine months together um, just spurring one another on. And I'm not going to keep talking, but we just had a little change of plans. And this is, this is our pastor, elder over women's ministry, Scott Maxwell. You know him from Sunday, but he is also the one who shepherds us, who prays for you, who encourages us, and he's going to kick the morning off for us. And um, this is just how gracious he is. I was going to go first, and I'm like, do you want to go first? I'll do whatever you want. I'm like, awesome. So we just switched. So um, just, just we are so blessed and so thankful for you, Scott. Thank you. Morning, ladies. Is everybody doing okay this morning? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> We have the other Mrs. Yates with us this morning. You're flying home tomorrow, right? Or today? Well, I better get going then. All right. Well, it's great to see you all. And do you all have your um, handout for the day? Uh, it'll be the, it'll say, I think at the top of yours, it'll say the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church or somewhere on there it'll say that. What we've done in the past, just as a little um uh, maybe an explanation, and then we'll certainly pray as we look at God's Word. What we've done in the past is we've kind of ended the year doing this lesson. Um, and it wasn't until I was sitting with like Chris and Jamie and, and Sarah Demarest that, um, and they were explaining how um, many of the women found it helpful to figure out how Wellspring fit into what the church was doing. And um, we thought, well, we should do that first. Uh, put it at the front of the year and, and then talk about this is what Grace Bible Church is about and then what is Wellspring and how does Wellspring fit in connection with that and how does Build fit into that for those of you who have husbands or significant others who are in Build. So that's what we're going to do today is talk about Grace Bible Church, what Grace Bible Church is all about and then we'll try to uh, start introducing you to um, what Wellspring is all about, what the disciplines are about that we'll talk about there. So, before we do that, though, and what we should do before we ever open God's Word, every time we open God's Word, is we should pray. Because we're going to be all over the place, and we want to make sure um, in, that we have our hearts lined up with God, that we're thinking His thoughts. And we don't want to just um, assume that because our Bibles are open, and because we're Christians, everything's okay. Because we need His help, right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you as we look at your word. We are so thankful that um, you wrote this down for us through men, that you carried those men along by your spirit, and you revealed yourself through language and through words written down. We're so grateful, God. Uh, if all we had to look at was creation, we would see that you scarred it years ago with judgment, with a flood that covered this world. We would certainly know certain things about you, but we would not know of your grace. We would not know of your mercy. We would not know your name, Jesus, the second person of the Godhead. The name that you have determined would be the name that every knee and every tongue would bow to and confess to, Lord. We uh, would be impoverished. We would be hopeless without your Bible. 
And so here we are this morning gathered together and we want to draw near to you and we want to do it with our Bibles open and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Thank you for these ladies. Pray, Lord, that Wellspring would be a huge blessing to them. Um, So, Lord, bless these feeble efforts of ours. Lord, I thank you so much for the women who um, are so eager to serve the kids. Um, Pray that you would give them a good morning and that our kids would... um, be encouraged by their time being here as well. So, Father, we place this in your hands and we humble ourselves under your word and desire you to speak over us with it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, the last, um, you know, we, we did Wellspring for two years on uh, in the middle of the week and then we took a year off and then we're back on this year. So we've done it. This is our third year now. And um, the first year, there was a brave band of women who wanted to put something together for the, the children, and they did, and uh, we're so grateful for what they did, and the second year was probably harder than the first year, because they had to try to decide if they were going to do the same things or change or what, and there was another great provision that God gave to us of, of another group of servant-hearted ladies who wanted to serve the women, and uh, so we kind of took a year off and just prayed and thought, we need to retool. That element over there that you don't see right now is the most challenging element administratively for the morning, as you can probably tell. And so we just took a year off trying to decide what would be the... Let's let's do this in a way that's sustainable, that will last, um, that's reproducible. And God, again, provided some really sweet ladies that, um, just like in the years prior, they actually, um, Maggie and, and... Linda and, and, and all of them. They actually like dream and plan about how they can serve your kids. That's what they've been doing all summer. And uh, so please tell them thank you for what they do. And um, it's a learning curve over there, and they'll be learning and figuring out how to do it best, but uh, be an encouragement to them. All right, let's talk about the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church. You've might have seen this on our website. You would see it on a bulletin every Sunday. If you come to church, it says at the top of it, a biblical vision of God leads us to a gospel purpose, to our gospel purpose in Christ. And then there's um, a triad with each of those uh, two portions. The biblical vision has a triad, um, the glory of God, um, the cross of Jesus, and the transformation of life by the Holy Spirit. And you can recognize by that that it's Trinitarian, that it's about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And our gospel purpose has a triad of drawing in, building up, and sending out. And so what we're going to try to do this morning is is make an attempt to explain that briefly. Um, we could do spend a lot of time on each one of these subjects, um, take up a whole day, each one. Um, but just in regards to, number one, the biblical vision of God, what I want you to... to if you, if you walk away with anything here, it would be that the focal point is God. He's the focal point of the Bible. Uh, you never come to God's word merely for the sake of his words. Christians do that. I've done that, and I'm sure you've done that too. Um, but the word of God is a means to an end, and the end is God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so we want to see God through the Bible. That's what we're after. Um, and that's what the word vision is about, that we would set our sights on God. And biblical is the key word also, that we only see God, um, the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, through the Bible. 
praise God creation reveals something about God. Praise God that there's something written on your conscience that tells you something about God. Neither one of those two witnesses is like this witness. Because this witness, your Bible, reveals God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Um, and so we want to have a biblical vision of God. That's what we're after. So, um, in one sense, with our biblical vision, what we're trying to do is summarize really what the message of the Bible is about. And so with that triad of the glory of God, the cross of the Son, and transformation of life by the Spirit, we're saying this is what the main message of the Bible is about. It's not everything, and of course we're leaving really important parts out. It says nothing about creation. It says nothing about the end. Um, but this is the core central message of the Bible. Um, so let's just jump in. Let's talk about the glory of God. What do we mean by the glory of God? I mean, this would be where we would probably locate the the, uh, the Father. We're not trying to say that Jesus doesn't have glory, and we're not trying to say that the Spirit does not have glory, but we're focusing probably more so here on the glory of God. Um, and I would encourage you, as you start to read through your Bible this year, and this is one of the other benefits of having this at the beginning of the year rather than at the end of the year, is I can say to you now, at the beginning of your year, as you pick your reading plan, maybe one thing you could do as you read through your Bible is look for the word glory, and every time you see it, circle it or highlight it or write it in your margin or put it in a journal. And I tell you, by the end of the year of reading through the Bible and you'll look at where all, how glory is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll have a much better idea of what one of the main ideas of the Bible is about, and that is the glory of God. Um, what do we mean by glory? In the Old Testament, the idea really carried the emphasis of God's weightiness, that he's a weighty being, meaning he's impressive. He is overwhelming. Uh, so it's, it's a word that gets after his overwhelmingness, his worth, his splendor, um, how impressive he is. And it is oftentimes in the Bible that overwhelmingness of God is expressed through Radiant light. Glorious, beaming, radiant light. So it's God's weightiness or his overwhelmingness expressed through radiant light. There's a sense in which um, God's glory is what he uses to communicate himself. Um, we know that in John 1.18, um, John said, No one has seen God at any time. And in Exodus 33, we'll be there in a moment, um, uh, God himself, Yahweh, said to Moses, no one can see me and live. So how then does God communicate himself um, to man when he's physically meeting with man? Well, the way he does that is by letting him see his glory, his weightiness, his overwhelmingness uh, that is expressed through radiant light. And when Moses saw it, he glowed. And other figures in the Bible, when they saw the glory of God, they fell down as dead men. And that's better than actually seeing him face to face and dying in this age. <laughs> um, one day we'll be able to see him. We'll be in a capacity where we won't be in jeopardy when we see him. Can you believe that? Can you imagine that? Um, so God's glory, it's his weightiness, it's his impressiveness. Um, God communicated himself through his glory at different times and different places in the Bible in weighty and impressive ways uh, that man was capable of soaking in. Your Old Testament teaching on this, primarily a great passage is Exodus 33. Back up into chapter 32 to make sure you get the whole golden calf incident so that you see what God is saying. By the time you get to Exodus 33, he says, I'm not going with you anymore. I'm not going to go with you into the land because if I did, I'd kill you all. 
I, I can't I can't go with you. I'll send I'll send an angel. And Moses then pleads with him, as you'll see in a moment here. Uh, he pleads with him. If you don't go with us, uh, how are we any different than any other nation? Um, so there's your Old Testament teaching. Your New Testament teaching will will begin to focus a lot of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. John 1.14 uh, talks about Jesus' glory. In chapter 12, verses 37 to 41, Isaiah, um, John quotes and, and says that Isaiah saw his glory. And he's talking about the Isaiah 6 moment. When Isaiah was in the throne room of God and he saw his glory, John equates that with the second person of the Godhead. Um, there's future glory for Jesus. In Matthew uh, 16, 27, you see Jesus' glory in judgment. In chapter 24, verse 30 of Matthew, you see Jesus' glory as he gathers his elect together. Chapter 25, verse 30, when there's Jesus' glory in the sheep and the goat judgment. In Revelation 21, at the end, you see the glory of the new Jerusalem coming down and the glory and the splendid light that's there is not the sun. S-U-N, it is God himself, Jesus Christ. So now let's turn to Exodus 33. Let me show you just a um, this passage. It's worth it to read through this and see it. Exodus 33. Um, I'll see, where do we want you to start? How about verse 11? So the golden calf has just happened. But if I go back up to verse 2 for a minute, he says, I'll send an angel before you, and I'll drive out all of the nations. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. And that has broken Moses' heart, verse 11. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. He hadn't specified that yet. Moreover, you have said, I have known you, Moses, by name, and you, Moses, have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you. You see, all Moses, all that matters to Moses is he just wants to know God. And as a leader over God's people, he just wants to know God so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. They're not my people. I didn't give birth to these people. They're yours, God. And God said, he changes his mind. Verse 14, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. You see, that's how big of a difference Moses understood it to be. God, if you don't go with us, we shouldn't even take another step. For how then, verse 16, can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all of the other peoples who are on the face of the earth? What makes a difference in any man or any woman? It's God. It's Jesus Christ. And Moses understood this. The Lord said to Moses, verse 17, I also will do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you show me your glory. Show me your weightiness. Show me your overwhelmingness expressed through radiant glory, radiant light. 
And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. It's interesting. He said, what I'll do is I'll give you an attribute. I'll give you an attribute of mine. And I'll preach a message to you. I'll preach my name, the name of Yahweh before you. And he reminds him of his sovereignty. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, behold, there's a place by me. I love that. Um, I don't know what it means, but I think it sounds pretty great. Uh, And you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. That's protection for him. And then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The trailing glory of God is what he would see. Um, Go to um, Luke chapter 9. We'll take an Old Testament passage. We'll take a New Testament passage. Go to Luke chapter 9. By the way, if you have any questions as we go along, feel free to ask Jamie. And um, I'm kidding. You can ask any questions you want also as we go along. Luke 9 verse 28. This is the transfiguration. See if you see any similarities here. Some eight days later after these things, he took along, that's Jesus, took along Peter and John and James, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, literally his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So get this, you're on a mountain, and Jesus figure changes and there's there's impressive radiant light and Moses shows up. Moses is always on a mountain with the glory of God and here he has come again but this time it is Moses and Elijah. It is the law and the prophets, the representatives of the law and the prophets. You have the summary of the Old Testament witness there with Jesus Christ as he is transformed in all of his glory. Verse 32 Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. That's what they do best. Um, But when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. In other words, Moses and Elijah are done. They're departing and he's trying to get them to stay because he recognizes that these are three great figures who must stay together a little bit longer. He just woke up. He wants some more of this. And what he's doing is he's unknowingly, he is putting Jesus of Nazareth on the same level as Moses at Sinai and Elijah, the great prophet. He's putting them on three, uh, the three of them on the same level. Well, let's see what God thinks about that. While he was saying this, verse 34, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, My chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent. They reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. In other words, God says, um, you will not put my son Jesus on the same level as Moses nor Elijah. Those two men as a summary of the Old Testament witness, you will not put my son on the same level as even their witness because their witness points away from themselves to my son coming. Jesus is greater. He is revealed there in all of his glory. 
That is the glory that you'll see in the kingdom of God one day when it comes in all of its fullness. Verse 27. Um, So here you have the glory of God on a mountain in the Old Testament and Moses is there. And in the New Testament, you have the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ on a mountain and Moses is there and Elijah. And you have this, I think, sweet unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament on the glory of God. All right, so what? You see the glory of God in the pages of Scripture. What is this about? Um, Practically speaking, what do you do? Um, I think what a man or a woman should do in Christ is every day position yourself as often as possible to drink in the glory of God in Scripture. Do everything. You can't go up on a mountain and have God do what he did with Moses and through Jesus. But you can expose your heart and your mind to it in the words of God every day. And doing so will make all of the difference in your life as one who I'm sure wants to glorify God. The way to glorify God has to begin with you just basking in the weightiness and the overwhelming splendor of God in the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. If you don't start there and soak in it, can you imagine how that diminishes your efforts to want to glorify God in what you do? Magnify Him. You want Him to be seen to be great in everything you say and do. Start with soaking in the glory of God in Scripture. The ones who have been most effective for God throughout redemptive history have been those who have hungered for the glory of God. You want to make a huge impact on your kids? Imagine this. What are your kids? Those of you who are moms, what do your kids need most from mommy today? They need you to be overwhelmed by the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's what they need. Everything else will get taken care of. But if they don't have that from you, your children, your roommates, your husband, your friends are impoverished. Okay? How about the cross of Christ? Christ's death is related to God's glory. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. Um, The glory of God in Scripture is actually inseparably tied to the shed blood of a substitute, which is a sacrifice for the worshiper in the Bible. Um, Let's back up to the Old Testament and just think. Um, God, in all of his glory, um, at one point in Exodus, had led Israel out and they're at the foot of the mountain, of Mount Sinai, and a cloud descends on the mountain and basically swallows the mountain up. It's vibrating, it's shaking, there's thunder, and, and God says, tell the people to get back, don't even let the animals come close, don't let them touch. God's radiant, impressive glory in the cloud and in the fire is eating this mountain up. It's, it's greater than the mountain. The mountain is being dwarfed under the glory of God. And what does he say to do when Moses comes up on the mountain and he writes down everything? Moses comes back down to the people and they can see the mountain in the background shaking under the glory of God. And he says, we're going to build a tent for God. And his tent is going to be surrounded by your tents. That mountain shaking, quaking under the glory of God is now going to come into a tent in the middle of us. Yeah. And everywhere in that tent will be blood. The blood of a substitute that gets sacrificed in the place of the one who wants to worship Yahweh. 
You see, God's glory, his overwhelmingness, and his radiant splendor are in, completely inseparable from the blood of a substitute being shed in the place of the sinner who desires to worship God. So you cannot speak of the glory of God without eventually talking about Jesus Christ and his blood being shed at the cross. There's a fusion of God's glory and a substitute's blood in the Bible. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Let me show you just a, one of many passages. Hebrews 9 verse 18 If you're going to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ, at some point you should probably talk about the glory of God. This glorifies God to have blood be shed, the the blood of an innocent substitute for the sinner. It pleases God. It glorifies him. Um, If you're going to talk about the glory of God, how impressive God is, you should eventually get to the cross. The two are inseparable from one another. Hebrews 9, verse 18. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. That's the Mosaic covenant. Old Covenant. And when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats and the water and the scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all of the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. So the Old Covenant had blood. And Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. God doesn't do covenants like this apart from blood. Uh, it's just the unique, final, ultimate blood that God had had in mind all the time. Uh, in the new covenant. Verse 21, and in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There, therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the tent in the Old Testament was a copy of what God has and is in heaven in his presence, and he said, I want you to make a copy of it. So the tent and the temple were never meant to be the final expression because the ultimate one has already existed for eternity. For Christ, verse 24, did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The temple was so bankrupt by the time Jesus came, he didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And when he died, the veil of the temple was what? torn in half. That wasn't so man could get in. It was a sign to say God was leaving, finally, fully. Nor was it, verse 25, that he would offer himself often as a high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer once, I'm sorry, suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will, bear a second, uh, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So there is the, the, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood tied to the glory of God. Um, forgiveness through the shedding of Christ's blood, the putting away of sin, the bearing of of sins for many is done by Christ and it's linked to the glory of God. Now what are we not saying when we talk about the cross of Christ? We're not merely focusing on a relic. The cross is means nothing to us without Jesus um, attached to it, affixed to it. He's not on it anymore. 
but we think of a cross and it matters that it's Christ. We're not interested in a Christless cross. We're also not trying to diminish the empty tomb and ignore the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, as you go through Acts, as we're going through Acts, you're actually finding out and discovering that Paul actually probably preached more about the resurrection than he did the cross. So we're not trying to diminish the one uh, by emphasizing the other. But an empty tomb makes no sense unless it was the Christ who was on the cross, right? So they're tied together. The Old Testament type for you is Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. Uh, the word atonement there occurs 15 times in the Old Testament. Uh, and we just read the passage in the New Testament that really talks about atonement. Um, God doing what he needs to do to make us at one with himself. Um, Hebrews 9, verses 22, really down through verse 26. Let me give you a key theological phrase. I give this to you every year when we talk about this. Um, penal substitutionary atonement. Um, it's very important. It's, it's a good guide for you. Penal, P-E-N-A-L, substitutionary, take me too long to spell it, atonement, okay? Um, those three words can be lodged in your mind. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you should not probably say penal substitutionary atonement. They will not have any idea what you're talking about and probably check you out. Um, so, uh, what, But what you do need to do is in your mind, let it be a little outline for you. Penal means there's a penalty. A penalty has to be paid. There is sin, there is wrath, there is judgment that must be poured out and there a penalty must be paid. Second word, substitute. A substitute is the one, the only one, who can pay the penalty, who can endure the penalty for me in my place. A substitute. I can't do it. It must be a blameless substitute who bears my sin, bears the wrath of God, satisfies the judgment of God against me, who is Jesus, right? Atonement. Uh, that's his work as a substitute to pay the penalty with the price of his blood to atone for my sins. That means to make me one with God, to reconcile me to God, to expiate my sin, to bear it away from his presence, to propitiate on my behalf, which means to satisfy the wrath of God. Those, it's not that you... Look, at some point you need to know those theological terms. Let me just... Let me just um, rabbit trail for a moment here. If you were to, the minute your son, if you had a son or, or if you can remember your, your husband, whoever, a brother playing football, there is a vocabulary that goes with football. And you never find a coach making apology the first day. Um, put your arms around him and throw him to the ground. Our word for that is tackle, but I just don't want to get caught up in my terms of football. Okay, No coach makes any apology, no area of discipline, no engineer, no doctor makes any apology for their own terms. Why do Christians? Oh, propitiation, expiation, reconciliation, justification, regeneration, adoption. We don't need to make apology for those words. Those are our words. Those are words that are in the Bible. Those are concepts that are in the Bible. You need to learn them like you would expect your son. You better learn what the coach says those words mean for football. You better learn these words, what they mean. You need them. They're our words. We don't make any apology for them. Let's get back on the trail. What does this mean? Um, practically speaking. Well, guess what? How about, how about Galatians 6, 14 and 15? Let me read it to you quickly here. Jamie, what time do you want me done? Two o'clock, did you say? Okay. What, do you remember what time it was? We can do that. We're in good shape. 
6.14. Galatians 6.14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but what is something? A new creation. Um, what did Paul do? He just boasted. He just exalted the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, what he did at the cross. Um, what should you be about every day? Position yourself. Just like you position yourself to drink in the glory of God every day, you need to position yourself before the Bible to soak in the cross of Jesus Christ, what he did. This is where you fill yourself up every single day with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he did to pay your penalty as a sinless substitute, shedding his blood to atone for your sin. Drink that in every day. Soak in that every day. The one who soaks in that has a much better chance of applying the gospel to their lives and living the gospel out and actually speaking the gospel to a clerk in a grocery store with three kids crying than the one who didn't soak in it earlier in the day or throughout the day. Soak in it. Soak in it. Soak in it. Lastly, third part, transformation of life by the Spirit of God. Uh, Paul mentioned a new creation in verse 15, and this is where you see the Spirit of God coming in. So what is our biblical vision of God? It is about the glory of God in the cross of Jesus Christ that results in a transformation of life brought about by the Holy Spirit. Um, What is the role of the Holy Spirit in Scripture? You would think by some Christians that the the primary role of the Holy Spirit is that you would speak in tongues um, or that you would be gifted with gifts in the body to serve the body. And those are very important things that happen throughout uh, church history. Uh, redemptive history, uh, the early part of Acts, obviously, um, uh, in particular with regards to tongues. uh, But the primary role of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is to regenerate and to sanctify. That's not to say that the other things were not important in their times when they were needed or um, are are still not important uh, in terms of gifting the body. Um, But the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to apply the work of Jesus Christ on the cross so that one is regenerated and so that one grows practically in holiness every day. Um, When that takes place, when the Holy Spirit takes the salvation work of Jesus and applies it to the life that he's saving, that person changes dramatically. That is not a kind of sort of salvation that is salvation of the greatest magnitude it is not merely fire insurance well now I really haven't changed the way I live but at least I know I'm going to go to heaven that's fire insurance I can live like hell now but not go to hell that is not the salvation that the spirit of God applies uh, in the work of Jesus Christ to a, a sinner's life when he's saving them um, the Holy Spirit seals the believer, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Um, the Holy Spirit brings new birth, which ushers in a new life. And when you take uh, Christ's work to pay the penalty as a substitute to atone for sins, when the Spirit of God takes that and applies it to the life of the believer, it is a massive salvation. Let me give it to you in three tenses. Let's talk about your past. Um, when the Spirit of God applies the work of Christ to your life, you turn around and you look at everything you were without Jesus and you look at everything you did without Jesus and you look at everything you didn't do but you should have done without Jesus. You look at all of that and it is wiped away. 
It is forgiven. It has been erased. That's what the Spirit of God does. So you stand where you are today and you turn around and you look back and you are saved from all of your sins in the past. Turn around and look forward. You look at heaven. You look at your future. And the Spirit of God applying the gospel to your life makes you look with hope to have heaven, to have the God of heaven, to have Jesus in heaven, where you will look on him and you won't have to rely on words in a, in a book anymore. You won't have to rely on faith. You'll, you'll rely on sight. You'll actually see him. You'll be with him. So salvation passed. You were saved from that. You will be saved to that. But your issue right now is today. You li- you're not living in the past and you're not in heaven yet. So what do you do today? The Spirit of God takes the work of Jesus Christ and applies it to your life today. You today are, are being saved. And, and, and by saying that, we're not saying, and the Bible by saying that does not say, mean to say that it's questionable whether or not you were converted. No, the Bible just speaks of salvation as being this full-orbed, mighty, massive salvation. You were saved, you will be saved, you are being saved. And you are being saved today in the present. How do you think about these in regards to sin? Since penalty was paid in your past, there you will be free from the, in the future, you'll be free from the presence of sin entirely. So what today? Penalties paid, no more presence of sin, but what today? The power of sin has been broken over you. That is how your salvation is working itself out today. You live in such a way by the Spirit's help and power to have victory over your sin. Victory in obedience to Jesus Christ. And this is where you're going to find Wellspring this year spending a lot of time talking with you about. We're just introducing some of that today. Let me um, give you a clarification and some proper understanding between regeneration and progressive sanctification. This is very important. Birthing the sinner into a new life before God, that is rooted in a moment. Boom. Okay? Rooted in a moment. Birthing a sinner into um, salvation is not a process for God. It is an event. Okay? The event is called regeneration or conversion. And that event that takes place inevitably, assuredly, ushers in a whole brand new process of living. Event followed by a process of living, okay? That process of living is called progressive sanctification, okay? You were regenerated in an event, but then that event leads you into a process called progressive sanctification, okay? Very important. Let's talk about those two things in regards to fingerprints. In the event, the new birth, there is only one set of fingerprints on being born again, and it is not your set of fingerprints. It is God's. God's fingerprints alone are on regeneration. Right? Let's talk about fingerprints on your progressive sanctification. There are two sets of fingerprints on that. God's and Yours. Your husband cannot make you become sanctified. Your dad cannot make you become sanctified. Your children cannot accomplish your sanctification for you. You're progressively growing in holiness of life. Only you can as you apply the power of the word of God 
and rely upon the Spirit of God to do so. Okay? All errors, uh, that's, that's broad, almost all the errors that result in the gospel come from taking those two things and switching them. Being born again becomes a process. You just do some things and then God will birth you. Or, watch this on this side, that's probably not where we struggle. This is where we face. Take your fingerprints off your sanctification, let go, and let God. And just he'll do it. Uh-uh. How does somebody become sanctified if they refuse to obey? What is sanctification if you will not pick up the, the commands of Jesus Christ and actually obey him? Don't fool yourself. You're not becoming sanctified. You're not becoming more holy. The only person who becomes more holy is the one who is obeying Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that's what saved you. Oh, you were born again with one set of fingerprints only upon your life. You weren't responsible for your own physical birth, right? Smed talked about that last um, Sunday night. But that birth ushers in a, a, a diligent life of pursuit of holiness of life. The Old Testament anticipated and revealed this. You even see this in some really kind of strange ways back, way back in 1 Samuel 10 when the Holy Spirit comes upon the first king Saul. It says in 1 Samuel 10:6, Then the Spirit of Yahweh will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. So even when the Spirit of God came upon Saul for prophecy, he was transformed in some way. That's, that hints at the the transforming work of the Spirit of God. Jeremiah 31, the new covenant, the, God's promise to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah for a new heart. The Spirit of God will be there transforming. Ezekiel 36, the same thing. The promise of the Holy Spirit is there. In Ezekiel 37, dead bones are brought to life. Talking about hope for the nation of Israel in the future, in chapter 37, verse 14, I will put my Spirit within you, Israel, and you will come to life and I will place you on your land. These are huge promises from God to Israel. New Testament teaching on this is everywhere. John 3, um, Jesus said, you must be born again. By the way, that's still Old Testament economy. So regeneration is not a New Testament idea. And it was absent in the Old Testament. The only way you could come to God in the Old Testament was through regeneration. Jesus said. In fact, he chided Nicodemus for not knowing that. Right? Titus 3, let's go there. Take a look at that. Titus 3, verse 3. There's so many passages we could look at. Um, I'm just kind of blowing by the, many of them. I think you have some of them written down in your notes there. Titus 3, verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, Paul says. We were disobedient, we were deceived, we were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy. We were hateful and hating one another. But... When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Well, how? Well, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. See, that would be a process, and that is not the way God saves anybody by is not by a process. But he just saved us according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's what the Spirit of God does to wash and to regenerate and to renew. Whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I love that verse. That's Trinitarian. Do you see it? Who's the he? It's God the Father. God the Father poured out upon us richly um, this, the Spirit in verse 5 through Jesus Christ our Savior. 
The whom is the Holy Spirit. So that being justified by his grace, he would we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And, verse 8, so that those who believe God will be careful to engage in good deeds. Why would God save somebody and then not have them be concerned about being engaged in good deeds? Why would he do that? And yet you would get the impression from many Christians that that's what God does every day when he saves people. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is another gospel. Okay? We become holy people. We pick up the commands of God. Romans chapter 8 talks about this. But if you live by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. Um, Galatians 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? We don't want to abandon the, the role of the Spirit in our sanctification. So practically speaking, what does this mean for us? I think one of the best things you can do, foundationally, is position yourself. You notice this. Position yourself, position yourself, position yourself before the Bible. Just position yourself before the Bible to see your need today for the Holy Spirit. Yes, you needed the Holy Spirit to be born again. Yes, you need the Spirit to make sure he has applied everything in the gospel for you, for heaven, to make it secure. But see your need for the Spirit today. He is the the forgotten member of the Godhead for people of our persuasion, in our theological cut. Um, unfortunately, and he shouldn't be. And, be. and if we pick up talk of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that we have to do it like the way um, others from another theological cut sound. We should speak boldly about who the Spirit of God is in our lives. So position yourself in a daily manner to, uh, so you can see his work, his primary foundational work of applying the gospel to your life and sanctifying you. His constant support of you in sanctification. When you're wrestling to obey and you know what's right and you're not sure you've got the guts to do it, you should be pleading with God for his spirit's help. I should be. We should be. All right, there's your biblical vision. It's Trinitarian. It's focus on the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But secondly, let's talk about our gospel purpose in Christ. What do we mean by our gospel purpose? Here what we're doing is we're, we're trying to recognize our place in redemptive history in which we live. Let me tell you who we are not and where we are not. We are not in Abraham's place where we have been told by God to sojourn in a land that is not ours, but someday it will be given to our offspring. That's not us. We, his God is our God. We have that in common, but we don't have Abram's mission. Do you, right? You understand? Okay. Um, we are also um, not... In Israel's place, we have not been called by God to step into the valley here and dispossess the people and take it over, right? We have the same God as they have, but um, that's not what our mission is, right? Um, We actually have a unique purpose in our day that is like Abraham's was unique to his and like Noah's pretty unique. You better build a boat 120 years, right? Nobody still is building boats, Nobody's still sojourning in lands. Nobody is still trying to dispossess nations. We have our unique calling in Jesus Christ, and it is the gospel purpose. It is the gospel mission of Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's what we're trying to reflect here in this gospel purpose in Christ. Um, and it appears in the Gospels, and you can look for this as you read through the Gospels, that Jesus had three primary overlapping complementary activities for his disciples. Drawing in, building up, and sending out. And so Acts carries that forward, the drawing in ministry of the, of the gospel, the, the building up ministry of the gospel, and the sending out ministry of the gospel. 
And that's what we want to look at next. Let's talk about drawing in. I've got a blank for you there to fill in <clears throat> under drawing in. Drawing in is uniquely God's sovereign and saving work. Drawing in is God's uh, unique sovereign and saving work. We are not talking about drawing people into programs when we talk about that. Getting people to come to church. That's not what we're talking about. Look at John chapter 6, verse 44 and verse 65. John 6, 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the one that Jesus is going to raise up on the last day in the resurrection is the one that God the Father drew into Jesus in a saving way. Because the only ones being resurrected by Jesus in this sense, which he's talking, are the ones who've been saved. How about John chapter 6, verse 65? And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So we're talking about drawing in in that sense. Not being drawn into a program, not being drawn into a worship service, not being drawn like if you had a workplace Bible study and you got an unbeliever to come to it. We're not talking about that kind of being drawn in. We're talking about being savingly drawn into Christ through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not wrong for people to, who are not saved to attend worship services and to come to programs and to come to your Bible study that you want to have or your neighborhood outreach, whatever it is you're doing, but you are never satisfied as long as they keep coming, but they are not savingly drawn in to Jesus Christ, are you? You can be hopeful, but you, until they come to Christ, that's what we're after, because that's what God is after. God is after sinners being saved, Him doing the saving work. And so our work in the gospel must be about drawing in, in that sense. Let me give you another uh, blank to fill in here. Jesus crucified is God's unique object of attraction. That's should go without saying, perhaps, but I don't want to assume anything. Jesus Christ um, crucified as God's unique object of attraction. John 12, verse 32, Jesus said, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Who, what event is he specifically talking about? His crucifixion, him lifted up in, in, in his cross, in his work at the cross. He will draw all men to himself. So then, Jesus declares for us what, the, what has the power. What has the power to draw all the men to himself that he's going to save? What has the power? Good music. Good music. All I have to do is lift up good music, turn, lift up the volume, turn it up, right? Get whatever cultural thing that you think is, is got power. Look, what you do to get unbelievers to come listen to you tells you what you think has power. You understand that? Uh, that, that that's something that I've been thinking about for a, a long time. It, it needs to be that we would just lift up Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God knows what works, what, what he uses to convert a sinner. We should be asking ourselves the question, what does the Spirit of God love to use to convert my unsaved child to convert my mom to convert my neighbor well whatever it is that the spirit of God loves to use that's what I should lift up and is it not Jesus Christ and him crucified so that is what your ministry needs to be about as a mom as a, as a wife as a daughter as a grandmother what you are is one who only wants to see God savingly draw in sinners to himself and you labor to put yourself in a place where you can lift up what the Spirit of God loves to use, right? 
Ask yourself that question practically speaking. What does the Holy Spirit love to use to savingly draw in sinners? That will clarify everything for you. Because sometimes we can think, you know what I need to do? I need to befriend her. I need to befriend her. I'll, I'll take her to movies. I'll go hang out with her. I'll go do the, and look, none of those things in and of themselves are bad unless you think that somehow it gets you somewhere. Because look, as long as she's saying yes and hanging out, for all you know, she's just lonely. And she loves the companionship. She wants absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ, but she loves your companionship. And you won't know where she's at spiritually until you lift up Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when she accepts him, you'll know what it was all, where the power was. And when she doesn't, you'll know what the real issue is. It's not your companionship. And I'm not saying be unkind or don't go do those things. But if you think that they have power to accomplish something, you're deceiving yourself. There's only one thing that gets lifted up in which God draws all men to himself. Get a platform, but don't put any trust in the platform. Put your trust in the preaching of the gospel. Building up is next. Understanding this is uh, important, your place. We, we probably in the church today typically think of being built up uh, in a personal, individual way. Go to Ephesians 4. I want you to see this. What would be really important is for us to understand in the Bible what um, Jesus says being built up is. In fact, maybe this question is the question to ask. What is Jesus building up? How would you answer that question? What is Jesus building up right now? Let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 11. And so Jesus gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So what Jesus is building up, the whole reason he gave gifts is he wants to see his body on earth, which is the church now being built up. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all respects into him who is the head, even Christ. And then this is the verse. From whom? From him, Jesus Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So what I want you to think about with me in this verse here is just where does your own personal being built up, your own personal edification fit in with what Jesus is building? He's building up the church. We tend to think of ourselves as being built up and that's pretty much all that God has in mind is I just need to be built up. Well, Jesus is building up a body so that it looks like a man, so that it looks like him. Okay? So how does this, me, relate to the whole? Verse 16 tells you. Watch, here's the main clause. I've told you guys this many times. I hope you can regurgitate this with, with great passion as well. Can you regurgitate something with passion? <laughs> Evidently you can now because we're going to try. Um, the whole body, here's the main clause. Here's the subject. The whole body, dot, 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 causes the growth of the body. So that's it. That's the main idea that he's trying to communicate. The whole body causes the growth of the body. So his method for getting his body built up is that the body would cause the body to grow. Well, how does that happen? That's all of the other details in the verse. 
first, notice this, being fitted and held together. The body has to be fitted and held together. The the members of the body have to come close to each other. They can't be scattered all over and the body build up the body. This is not the universal church because the universal church is scattered about. This is a local church. It has to be together. Being fitted and held together. Well, how does it get fitted and held together? Well, that gets fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. The word joint is really a connection. It's where one member comes up and connects to another. It's when one life connects with another. And it says by what every joint or what every connection supplies. That means whenever the two members of the body touch, there is a supply of power in that connection. And it is that supply of connection where the two members came together that fits and holds the body together. Okay? We have to be fitted and held together. How does that happen? Our lives have to touch. We have to live life together. Well, how does that happen? According to the proper working of each individual part. Well, what if the two parts that get together are not working rightly? Then there's no connection of supply. So here's where you fit in. You need to make sure as an individual part that you are working properly. What does that mean? That, that you're, you're being built up in Jesus Christ, that you're, you're growing in your, in your love and in your obedience to him, your desire for him, your worship of him. You need to be a proper working part. And when you come into contact with another believer as such, there is a connection of supply there that fits us and holds us together. And then the whole body as such will cause the growth of the body for the building up of itself. You see, he wants the body to build itself up. So there's where you fit. You have to fit within a local congregation of believers in Jesus Christ. You have to. That's for the building up of itself in love. What characterizes all of our lives and our connection with each other in the, in, in the church? It's love that we would love God, that we would love each other. And watch how it all starts. This is all from him, from whom? Jesus Christ. None of this would happen without Jesus Christ. So your personal edification has to fit in with the body's edification. So what should you be thinking about? I just encourage you that this does not mean think less about your own personal edification. It actually means think more about how your personal edification fits in with the body. Am I connected to people? I need to be connected to people in the body of Christ. Lastly, sending out. Grasping the connection between drawing in, building up, and sending out. Um, This is really important for us, and every time I go through this, I get convicted because I see where I think we have tendencies to be lopsided as a church. Um, if you keep drawing in, building up, and sending out all held together in balance, you, you will pre- prevent yourself from be overemphasizing one to the diminishment of the others. Um, and I think this is a constant um, work. It's like standing on a, on, a, on, a, on a ball. You never are just relaxed. You're constantly having to work to keep your balance. Don't go too far that way. Go this way. No, not forward. You're just constantly having to move. You're constantly having to reevaluate. What, what do I mean by this? It's easy to become a church that fervently, busily invests itself into just drawing in sinners. We just want to see sinners come, and so we do everything we can to get a sinner within earshot. And then maybe there's not a whole lot of thought given to about, well, what do we do with them if they get saved? What do we do? 
How are we going to build them up? And do we have a plan for them as they do get built up to send them out? Um, it's also possible to be a church where you just grow so much and focus on, on missions. You're just going to send people out. If they've got a desire to go do something, you just find a way to fund it and they just go. Everybody just goes. Everybody's being sent out for the gospel. And um, we don't really know what they're going to say, maybe, or what their primary ministry is going to be. Is it a demonstration of the gospel versus a proclamation of the gospel? Is there a balance in that? What, what is it? Um, so there could be an imbalance there. Where we are, I think, places where we need to be challenged is that we give so much attention to making sure that we are built up that we may not at times give thought like we should yet to drawing in and sending out. I think we're giving good thought to sending out too. Um, and if you build up rightly, because building up is never an end in of itself. If you focus rightly on building up, you will be focusing on sending out. And, and I can tell you, just as an elder in this church, that there is not any desire to build up any man or any woman so the fact that they just sit around and do nothing. We want, we want to see people go to Papua New Guinea. We want to see people um, go wherever God would lead us as a church to send them. We want you to be sent out into your homes. We want you to, to, to figure out how to be effective with the gospel wherever it is you are. Um, that being said, what I feel, in my, and I'm speaking for me, I'm not declaring anything to you that the elders have said, so I will retract it if they ask me. Um, but what I feel in my heart is that, you know what, programming for some things to go do together is good. And we don't do a whole lot of that. And I'll tell you why we don't. Um, it's because, number one, I think being a church in a box the way that we have been and we've constantly moved, um, our neighborhood changes all the time. And so as such, we are not a neighborhood church. We're not a church like Chandler Bible that ministers to this neighborhood. We become a community church. And by community, I mean valley. People come to us from all over the place. So where do we focus? Um, that's not an excuse to say we shouldn't. I'm totally off script here. I'm not saying anything that I wrote down. So this could be a heresy alert. So, um, However, what we have focused on and what we will still focus on, what we will never stop focusing on is God has a, a program for you that is better than any program your elders could put together. It is where you live and it is the people that you are with, the people you work with. It is your, your family that you see every single day. We couldn't program that well. The point that we've been focusing on with you is be faithful where you are. Open your mouths. Speak of Jesus Christ to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to uh, your children, to your household, wherever it is you are, be faithful there. Because what if you're not doing that, but you are involved in a program? Um, that's where a lot of Christians draw comfort, is they draw comfort from the fact that, oh, I'm participating in evangelism over there, but I'm not talking to anybody that I live with. It doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. So there's your purposes. I want to finish because I've only got about 10 minutes left, and I'm going to go really fast. Okay? Biblical vision, uh, the glory of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. And what time did you tell me? 930? 920? 9.20. And the transformation of life by the Spirit of God. And then that leads us to be a very active people in regards to drawing in, building up, and sending out with the gospel. Those three, the second triad, they make no sense without the gospel. How do you draw in somebody to Christ without the gospel? How do you build somebody up without the gospel? How... Why would you be sent out without the gospel? Um, it's at the center of the gospel. 
Now let me talk to you a little bit about Build and Wellspring and how this all fits in. How do Build and Wellspring fit within the vision and the purpose of the church? Um, obviously, I think it, the place that it most clearly fits in is uh, within the gospel purpose side and in particular the building up. Wellspring is a building up ministry of the church. Um, it is not designed to be um, an evangelistic um, ministry, although I do think it is very possible, and it may have happened. I don't, I'm not sure if it ever has. Um, but I do think it's possible for, uh, for women and men to get saved and build in Wellspring. Thought they were saved, perhaps, hear more about the gospel, and go, oh my goodness, that's not what I was believing. I, I repent. I think it is possible. But we do not design Wellspring to be an evangelistic ministry. It is a building up ministry. Um, how do these two ministries, even um, within this first question, how, how does Wellspring relate to the other ministries of the church? What Wellspring is after will only strengthen you to participate in small group better and will help you serve like in Next Generation Ministries better. It will help you to serve in student ministries better. Um, if you're a part of Setup and Teardown, it would help you to care for the people that you're doing, uh, that you're serving alongside. It will help you to care for them well. Uh, so it's primarily a building up ministry. Question two. How to build a wellspring actually build up believing men and women in Grace, uh, at Grace Bible Church. Um, there's three basic core disciplines uh, that are within wellspring. Um, how many of you, this is your first time, that, or you've never heard these before? A few of you? I see you. Okay. Um, I'm going to give them to you conceptually. I'm going to give them to you without their title so that you can, and I'll give you the title at the end. The first primary core discipline that we have um, is, is one that is concerned with how you as a believer in Jesus Christ worshipfully pursue God through his word. That's a long way of saying the first discipline. You must be a woman who is going to worshipfully interact with God when your Bible is open, every time your Bible is open. Um, when your Bible is opened, there needs to be from you an expression of love for your Savior. When you open your Bible, there should be a sense of reverence for your God. I fear you. These are your words to me. Um, your interaction with God's word must be one of worship, of love. It needs to be an expression. I, I'll tell you this for me. I open my Bible up and I look at it in the mornings early and I'm like... I wish I felt like reading my Bible. I feel like going back to bed. I feel the pressure of my day to get onto other things. I need to go. I w so God, this is right now my expression of my need for you. I need you because my heart is not inclined to you right now. Please incline my heart to you. And that's what your interaction with the Word of God needs to look like. If you open this up and then close it and walk away and worship did not take place, the worship of God, and you did not express your love for Jesus Christ in and of that. Um, that's something wrong happened, took place, right? Conceptually, then, the second core discipline is the first set of people who should be impacted by you in that condition should be the people you live with. Your household needs to experience you as a worshiper of God, somebody who your Bible is always a, a hand, a, a reach away. There's words from God on your tongue that you're ready to speak to your, your parents, to your children, to your siblings, that you are, as one who is worshiping him through the word of God, you want to impact your household first. Um, you want to care for those people the most. Um, if you're a single young gal and you're living on your own, um, 
I'll tell you what I tell the guys, and then you can see if it applies to you. Guys, and I don't know, maybe girls are this way too, who live on their own. There's a group of college girls that lived across the street from us mm. once in a, in a rental house. And what they did as, and what they were like as girls um, was far worse than anything, the three different sets of college guys that lived there. I don't know why. The police were at that house more than, and I'm off script again. <laughs> the first night they were there, the ambulance came. Um, so maybe this applies to women and somehow, I don't know how, but I, here's what I tell the guys. I tell the guys this. If you live in a household full of other single guys and you don't care about anybody, you guys just kind of come and go and, and the only thing you do is you trip over each other's trash and dirty clothes and, and you have no care for the other guys that you live in the house, oh, but then you meet her and you try to convince her that when I live with you, when you're under my roof and I'm under your roof, it is going to be paradise. She steps into your house, young man, and sees hell. That's hypocrisy. Why would she believe you? Why would a young man believe you, ladies, if you say as a single young woman, I will, I will care for you. I will care for our children someday. I don't care for any of these roommates. I never see them. But I'll care for you. You don't want... Focus on your household. That's the second discipline. The third discipline makes sense after those first two. When you have been one who has really sought to worship God through his word and you are making an impact in your household, then it makes sense to step into people's lives outside of your household. People in the church, people outside the church. Your ministry to people will be one with integrity because what you are representing yourself to those people outside of your household is indeed what you are with the people in your household, which is what you are when the people of your household are asleep and you've got your Bible open. It's just you and God. There's integrity from how you handle yourself with the word of God before God, how you handle yourself with your family, and how you handle yourself in ministry. All right, so how do we summarize these three things? And by the way, these take discipline. That's why we call them disciplines. You don't just wake up and open your Bible and worship God. It takes discipline to say, this must happen. God, I plead with you to help me help this happen. Caring for your family, it just doesn't happen. It takes discipline to care for your household. Caring for people out and, and bringing the gospel to them in ministry, that doesn't just happen. You have, it takes discipline. You have to plan for these things. So that's why we call them spiritual disciplines. What, what's the title for all three of them? Discipline one, the heart. Discipline two, the home. Discipline three, the ministry. It's an order marked by priority. It's not like first grade, second grade, third grade, that when you're done with first grade, you never go back to first grade and you're only in second grade. And when you're done with second grade, you only go to third grade. No, the heart, you're working on these things all of the time, all three of them, but um, the heart takes priority. Third question, why does discipline one, the heart, hold such a primary place in build and wellspring? I want to talk a little bit more about what the heart is. Um, if you're a man or a woman here, full of worship, full of love for God, full of need of God, and the word of God is your lifeline connection to God every single day, then wherever you go, whomever you meet, whatever you do, you're going to be the woman who's pleasing to God. And so it matters what you've been like in the, your heart before God. What, what does the Bible say the heart is? Um, what does the Bible mean by the word heart? Um, it is who you are inwardly, before God. It is who you are inwardly before God. The heart is your inner person, your inner woman. I love what 1 Peter 3, verse 4 says. You can write it down. Um, 
Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. It's the inner person of the heart. You take away the physical body and you still exist in heart form. The inner woman is is housed within your body, right? But your inner woman is not dependent on your body to exist, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 says, Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. There's the heart. So what is your heart? Your heart is you. It's not a piece of you. It's not like the way we use it in English. Oh, you need to put some heart into it. What do we mean? Put some feeling into it. Put some emotion into it. Well, that's a piece of me. But that's not what my heart is. My heart, according to Scripture, is me, inwardly. It's who I am before Him, inwardly speaking. Um, And so what we're talking about, discipline one, when we say shepherd your heart to the Word of God in order to meet worshipfully with the God of the Word, what are we saying? We're not saying shepherd your emotions to the word of God. We're not saying shepherd your thought life to the... We're saying shepherd you, who you are inwardly. Drag who you are inwardly before the word of God and meet with God there in his word. Worship him. Um, by God's grace, you are in a condition now in which you can do this. Did you know that you, before Christ, were not in a condition to do this? Let me talk to you about what God has done in salvation for you. Before God saved you, before you repented of your sins, before you believed and trusted Christ, before you were united with Christ crucified, before you were united with him raised from the dead, your inner woman, according to scripture, was dead before God in sin. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, right? Dead in sin against God. Your mind and your flesh, your indwelling sin, your heart, all of them were united together in an unmixed rebellion against God. Did you know that? That's the message of the Bible. And Wellspring is going to unfold that for you for the um, rest of the year. It's really positive, good, encouraging message. Um, we'll get to other things beyond that too. But look, the good news is only good news if you understand the bad news, right? So what you wore before Christ in your life was a, an unmixed Rebellion against God. And in that condition, you had no capacity and you had no interest to shepherd your heart to God with his word. You had no capacity for it. It was an unmixed, in sin condition. Okay? Now let's fast forward a moment and think about salvation comes to that kind of a, of a woman. And now let's think about heaven and the future. Okay? Um, there in heaven the body gets separated from the inner woman and that inner man condition will then be in unmixed holiness and righteousness not a trace of sin anywhere only unmixed holiness unmixed righteousness wait a minute before Christ all there was was unmixed sin and rebellion and in Christ with Christ in heaven unmixed holiness and righteousness of life unmixed in awful godless rebellion unmixed in God glorifying worship of God and again you live in neither one of those places and right now today you live in neither one of those two conditions is it clear to you that you're not in unmixed holiness and righteousness is that clear to you in your own personal life 
You know, is it as clear to you, though, that you are not what you were before Christ? You are not. Today, right today, can you, while still living, become that? No. Is it as clear to you that today, while still living as you are in Christ, that you cannot become what you were? You are a new creation. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. That does not mean that you are in heaven and that you are flawless. It just means that what you are today is new compared to what you were. So what are you today? You were unmixed. You will be unmixed. But what are you today? You're mixed. You've got a mix of brand new desires that you never had before. You have you have newfound love for Jesus that you never had before. You have a desire to obey Jesus Christ. You have a desire for his word. And you have even found that at, at moments you even have equipping from God to obey. It's, been, it's amazing what you have. And you also find that you are dragged down and backward by your sin every single day. What is this? This is the new creation in Christ. Now, my plan would have been to just skip this whole part and just go from unmixed in sin and rebellion to unmixed, just go to heaven. But God is so much wiser. And he has a plan to receive glory for you in this unmixed condition that you will be able to fight against your sin. Before, you were in, before Christ came into your life, you didn't fight against your sin to get Jesus. In heaven, you don't have to fight against sin anymore. Here, you fight. You're a fighter. You get up every day and you fight. That's what you are as a woman of God in Jesus Christ. You get up and you fight against sin. Say, let's say it positively. You fight for love for Jesus Christ. That's what you are every day. And that, though you are an earthen vessel, you have a treasure in earthen vessel. That is a mix. Who puts a treasure in a frail clay pot? God does, and he derives glory from it. That's what he's all about. What's going to happen? You tell me this. What would happen if a man got up into a boxing ring and there was a vicious opponent there ready to tear him apart, but he did not put on gloves and he did not fight? He's toast. You tell me what happens if a soldier steps out into the middle of a battlefield and he has no uh, armor on, he has no weaponry about him, he, knows, he has no plan, he's just out there in the battlefield. You tell me, what's going to happen to that soldier? What happens to you if you get up today and you do not shepherd your heart towards the word of God in order to meet with him and know him? It's no different. You are unequipped, you are not ready for the day because you have to fight against your sin and you have to fight for obedience to Jesus Christ. Last question. We decided to do, um, how are they related to each other? Build existed nine years ago. We added Wellspring, uh, what, three years ago? And we did it because you ladies have an amazing ministry to each other, spelled out in Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. And um, your ministry that you have to each other, older women to younger women, um, is fueled by you, each one of you, being a woman who will shepherd her own heart to the word of God, to know the God of the word. If you are an older woman and you're going to try to step into a younger woman's life, if you are not shepherding your heart to the word of God, to know him and to love him, what do you, what do you have to offer a younger woman? You can't even fulfill Titus 2. If you as a younger woman um, are not shepherding your heart to know God and to love him through his word, 
what are you going to listen to when an older woman comes to you? How are you going to hear anything they say? So your unique ministry as that God has given to you in the gospel to care for one another in Titus 2 is um, fueled by what we're going to be talking about in Wellspring all year, what Chris and Jamie are going to be talking about in Wellspring. So I took five extra minutes. I'm so sorry. Ladies, let me pray, and uh, we'll let Jamie finish up with you. Thank you for listening so well. I, I, turned the, I turned the fire hose on and full crank, and like I said, you can ask Jamie all your questions as I leave. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what you have made us in Jesus Christ, Lord. I am not the man who I used to be. Um, these ladies, as they are in your son Jesus also, are not the women they used to be, Lord. We were unmixed in our rebellion against you, and now we find ourselves with new desires, eager to live for you. Um, That is all by your doing. And yet, Lord, we see a danger lurking within us still, the danger of sin, the deceitfulness of sin, wages a a very effective war against us, and against our sanctification. And so we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow um, in, in our understanding that we need to fight today and that at the heart of it is I must come and find you and seek your face out in your word that I might know you and draw near to you to be equipped. Help us to be worshipers of God, lovers of Jesus Christ, God-fearing women and men at Grace Bible Church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, ladies. All right. Well, Scott covered a lot that I'll be like kind of skimming through some of my notes, so bear with me. Um, but my name is Jamie Siegel. For some of I don't know all of you, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. And on behalf on behalf of Chris Evans, which I don't see, she's not in here right now, but you all probably know Chris and Suzanne Blevins. She's right there. We are we are thrilled that. Um, we're just finally at this day, and we have been praying for you, and we are excited to see what the Lord is going to do um, this next nine months. Um, let's see here. I um, The schedule, um, well, let me just keep skipping. All right, we're going to start off talking about the children, children's uh, ministry over there, and we, like Scott said, we're so thankful that Maggie and Linda have just been just eager to get this thing going and working so hard um, and just know that your children are well well cared for. And not only that, but they're going to have so much fun. They're going to have a blast, and they're going to be learning biblical truths, gospel truths in that. And um, we will pray that the Lord will use that in their lives. And then we're thankful that we have several women um, that are going to be serving over there in Wellspring Kids Weekly. And I know that you're going to thank them. But because we have so many children participating, which is a really good thing, uh, we still need a couple of extra women every every week. And so how we've worked it out uh, is that we have assigned, or Maggie assigned, um, each woman to go over and serve just one time this whole year and if you want to pull out that Wellspring Women Serving Wellspring Kids sheet you will see your name and you will see the date on there that's been assigned to you so please take a look at that 
and mark that date um, that you'll be serving. Mark it on your calendar, put it on your phone. And if for some reason that is a date that isn't going to work out for you, or that, or if something comes up, please uh, get someone to take your place, and then let Maggie Dahlman know. And her information is there on the bottom of that sheet. But it's really important that you do that because they are counting on you to be there for that date. Um, and and that and that. Thursday, when you do miss that Thursday, or if you miss any other Thursday, these lessons are all going to be recorded, which is just our favorite thing, and not our favorite thing, but they are going to be recorded. They're going to be online, uh, along with all the handouts and outlines that you can just make up, and then um, you won't be behind. Now, the classrooms open at uh, 8.00. 50 on Thursday mornings and no earlier. They open at 8.50, but if you would like to come early and let your children play on the playground and, and take them to the restroom if they need to, that is perfectly fine, but please know that they're, they're fully your responsibility until you sign them into their classroom. So we ask that you would just stay with them, be responsible, and remember the classroom doesn't open until 8, 8.50. And our time together be begins promptly at 9.00. And you guys did such a great job at doing all of that this morning and being in here. So thank you so much. That worked out so great. So you will have a 10-minute window to get your kids signed in and to uh, start Wellspring every every week. And it sounds like it, that's not that much time, but I guess it is because it worked out really great. Our time together, like I said, is going to start at 9 a.m. And we're going to begin out in the foyer and do something really different this year with a time of fellowship and we're really excited about that we are gonna um, we just want to gather we'll grab a muffin or a snack and we just want to spend time together encouraging one another getting to know one another um, building one another up and by the way is there a, a, a snack sheet yeah Chris is going to just pass that around here's the deal about bringing something to eat. Um, if Some women love to do that, and they are eager to do that and want to. If you are one that it's all you can really do this year is to get your children ready, get them in the car, get them out the door, get them signed in, and, you know, that's just about it. And signing up to bring a snack might just be too much this year. Please don't sign up. It is totally okay. We just want to give you an opportunity if you would like to. Okay? And as the letter said, you can BYOB this year, bring your own beverage, as long as it has a lid. Um, but, and we know accidents happen. You know, I am a spiller, so accidents do happen. And um, if you spill, it's okay, but please let us know because the church has provided a cleaner for us to use that they want us to use on the spill. And we always, always want to leave the facility better than we found it. So let's keep that in mind. And so if you see something that, ne that needs to be picked up, uh, we just really want to serve the church. We're so thankful for their provision. Again, this is the third year they've allowed us to use this facility. And it's such a blessing. It accommodates the children. It accommodates us so well. All right, so after our fellowship time over there, from 9 to maybe around 9.15 or so, we are thrilled this year that we're going to come in here. And then we're going to have a time of worship, singing. And uh, Cammie Mueller has agreed to lead us with Amy Zimmerman in that. And we are just so excited and so blessed. And then after that, we'll have teaching time. 
and then we will break into discussion groups. And you got a list of uh, your name with your discuss, you know, in your discussion groups. If your name isn't on there, will you let us know at the end of this morning? This morning we're not going to meet for discussion groups, but from now on, for the most part, we will. And at that time, um, when we end at 11, is when we're going to end. And at that time, we ask that you promptly get over there and get your kids and relieve the workers. Um, and that will be a blessing for them. And then, just get your children. If they want if you want to let them run around on the playground again, there's still some time to do that. So, you know, maybe plan a lunch together or a park, a park date together. And that's perfectly fine. So when you come in in the morning, like you did this morning, there will be um, handouts to grab. Please check off your attendance. Please wear your name tags every week. Um, that is so helpful for us over 50 years, especially, because <laughs> it's just hard to remember. And uh, that'll just help all of us. So I want to talk a little bit about Wellspring, something that Scott didn't cover um, in his in his teaching um, that is kind of unique to Wellspring, um, well, first, it's, a, it's for women of Grace Bible Church who have made that their home. And that's whether it's, you know, you've been here a week or from the beginning. And it's for believers, whether you've been a follower of Christ for a week or a long time. And like Scott said, you know, it grew out of build. And many of the lessons in Wellspring are, are adapted from those build lessons. And he has just graciously given us all of his all of his material. He sat with us. He shepherded us. So a lot of the lessons are um, are just kind of go along with a lot of the build lessons. Um, but like build, Wellspring is a training ministry to help us grow in our walk with the Lord, like he said. And you'll just you'll see that he didn't he didn't point out the back of the notebook. But if you are wondering still, when we talk about disciplines, what, what do we mean? Because we will be talking about these disciplines every single time we get together. It's on the back of your notebook. The Wellspring Purpose and the Wellspring Disciplines, and we'll cover them. But most of the lessons, they build on one another. So it's important um, that you understand that Wellspring is a nine-month commitment. It's nine months, and it's a commitment. So we ask that you take this as a serious commitment. And when we talk about commitment, please listen carefully. It doesn't mean that you can't miss if your children are sick or if you're sick. There's the sick policy there that you guys will adhere to. Um, We know that things happen and that children get sick or you get sick and families have unexpected circumstances and things come up. But what we mean by commitment is as much as it depends on you, please commit. So with that, I'd like to encourage you. Go before the Lord and ask him, pray, ask him for his help to do all that you can by his grace to get all that you can from Wellspring and to be purposeful in that. You know, we're asking for you to to make a, a commitment to see it through to the end. And if you miss, please come back. See that see the goal is to get all that the Lord has for us and to grow and to be equipped and grow as a church. And that's going to happen best if we're consistent in our participation, in the teaching, and in the discussion time, and in the assignments. Okay? And if you do have to miss, like I said, you can listen online, you can print out the handouts, do the homework, and then please come back. Come back. All right. 
So let's take a, a look at the front of your notebook for a minute. The name of this ministry is Wellspring, which comes from Proverbs 4.23 there. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And a wellspring is the head or source of or spring um, of a spring or river. It's the head or source of a spring or river, and it signifies a continual supply. So when Proverbs 4.23 says that the heart is a wellspring of life, it's saying that all of life flows from the heart. And like Scott said, we're going to be talking a lot about our heart throughout the year of uh, wellspring. And our logo, it also conveys that wellspring is a ministry for women, and it ties back to Titus 2 with the idea of one generation pouring into another. And what we pour into others flows from our heart. So this logo can be a, remi- logo can be a reminder for us of the responsibility we have with one another. How crucial it is that we guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else. So that what we're pouring into others is good and pure and true and grounded in the word of God. It's grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that, let's open up our notebooks and kind of go through. That will make a terrible sound. Sorry, <laughs> if you're listening. Let's open up our notebooks and you can see that, oh, the first thing you have here is a resource with phone numbers on it and, and the midweek is for Chris and I, and if you're in Suzanne's uh, discussion group, she's going to give you her number. And then you will see, I hope, oh, did we just pick up a calendar? We just picked up a calendar. All right. Okay, you're gonna, you see on the calendar there that, um, I thought that was going to be right after, so I'm sorry about that. You see that our calendar is a little different. There are, um, we are usually taking the fourth Thursday off of the month, usually. And we won't be meeting, if you see there, like on October 31st or November 28th, and then we only meet two times in December. So take a look at those dates and then mark your calendar and uh, be, be aware, and we'll try to be aware too to remind you, okay, next week we're not meeting, but, but keep that in mind. And then you'll see... Under disciplines over there on that calendar that, as Scott said, we're going to be addressing the heart a lot. So you'll see a lot of the heart and then discipline too. We're going to be talking about how we apply the gospel in our homes and then and then ministry discipline three. And then you have tabs in your notebook. Um, you have one for outlines and homework and resources. And you know what? This notebook is to serve you. And if you've done Wellspring before, you'll see that it's a little different. And we changed the out or the tabs for you, but it's it's here to serve you. Please use it however it works for you. Add more dividers and more resource or more tabs if you want to do that. If it best serves you that way. Now the, um, that is through. Okay, the first thing you see is the uh, you'll see reading plans. So I want you to kind of just thumb through those, and you're going to see something that says discipline one. The heart. You're going to see a handout, a resource that says Discipline 1, the heart, heart categories for consideration. And then you'll see Discipline 1, the heart, the heart in the New Testament. And these are just helpful resources for you, a collection of what Scripture says 
about the heart. And we will see God's Word says a lot about our hearts. And this is a resource for you as we go through Wellspring. You may find, you know, at times it's helpful to look at this, to to look up these scriptures, to study this, maybe as you're reading God's Word, that you um, can add more when you find more to these resources. And then you'll see the next one, D2. It says D2, the home, home categories for consideration. Do you see that? And the same idea um, is, is there and another great resource. And then women in the Bible. And hopefully we'll be able to refer back to those a little bit throughout the year. And we are going to be adding more resources as we go throughout the year as well. So... The primary, I know Scott mentioned it, and I don't know how many of you really knew this, but the primary assignment in Wellspring is to read through the Bible in a year. And um, it's, it's, just, it's the desire of our church leadership for the men in field and for us here in Wellspring to do that, and he told you, he told you why. Um, they they want to encourage us to get into that routine, into that habit of doing it every year, even for the rest of our lives, to meet with God in his word, to draw near to him in his word. And I'm wondering, you know, it's, it's good um, to have that encouragement because I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but, you know, for years, January 1st would roll around, and I would say, all right, this is the year, right? This is the year I'm going to do it. I am going to read through this Bible in a year. I... I need to do this. Everybody else is doing it. You know, I want to do it. I really want to do it. And I can do it. And I am just going to do it. And where's the focus? It's really on me, right? And what I'm going to do. Um, And then depending on how it goes, it's kind of like for me going to the gym. Within a week, within a month, you know, or maybe when we hit Leviticus, we run out of steam. You know, we get discouraged and we give up. And then maybe we even, we might feel like, you know, some kind of loser or a second-class Christian because we struggle with this. We might feel like we're really the only ones who struggle. And that is not what this is about at all. Okay, it's not about muscling through a reading plan in our own strength. It's not about being able to say we did it. It's not a competition, or, to, or it's not about making ourselves feel better or even worse. Because that's the wrong focus. It's not about us. See, it's about us meeting with the God of the Word. And it's just so helpful to remember and understand why it is so valuable and why we need to do that. Um. But we, we need to be a well-nourished follower of Jesus Christ. And, and it just happens when we're taking in all of God's Word. The Bible is full of illustrations and examples, as Paul says, for our instruction. So we need to be full of the Bible, equipped by knowing the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this enables us to care for one another, to care um, for those in our home with all of God's Word, to represent God's Word. Accurately, And when we understand that, it can change our whole perspective on reading through the Bible in a year. Um, we need to be reminded over and over, year after year, of who God is, who we are, and what God has done to redeem sinners like you and me, right? 
but it usually doesn't happen if we don't plan for it. So it's a good it's good to have a plan, and we're just here to encourage one another to do that. So what if you don't finish any year? Won't we still have discovered more about God and drawn near more to Him than if we hadn't tried? Will we grow from reading through the Word, meeting with God in His Word, if we finish in 14 months or in 18 months or two years? Of course we will. So we're going to encourage one another here in Wellspring to persevere, to keep going, and to meet with God in his word. Psalm 119.103 says that his word is sweeter than honey, and it is. It is. And the more you feed on it, the more you understand, and the sweeter it becomes. So there's the commitment in Wellspring to read through the Bible. And maybe it's a season where it might take you longer than a year, and that's okay. We're here to help one another with this, okay? Our aim is to grow and to persevere. Our aim is not perfection, right? Okay. So it's very important to understand struggling with your reading plan is not a reason to quit Wellspring. Okay, it's not a reason to quit Wellspring. Don't give up in your struggle. Keep coming and let's encourage one another. Okay? Deal? All right. Um, if you're already on a reading plan, doing a reading plan, please just keep going. If that's working for you, don't stop. You don't need to start over. And now I want to go over some of the options that you do have, and they are in your notebook behind resources, that tab resources. The first one you see there is a chronological uh, reading plan, and it's arranged um, in the order. You'll be reading in the order of, in which it happened. And so you can start that in October um, you know what, with this chronological reading plan, just keep in mind that you will be in the Old Testament for a really long time. A really long time. And um, if you haven't done it and you've read through the Word several times, then it might be one that you want to try this year. Um, there's a, uh, the McShane's Bible reading plan. I believe that one is next. And a lot of people here at Grace Bible like to do that one. You're in four different parts of Scripture every day. You read through the Old Testament once, the Psalms and Proverbs, and New Testament twice. Um, but you're always in the Old and New Testament. And then the next one is the 52-week by genre. And so you read through the whole Bible in a year, but it, it breaks it down by day. Like on Sunday you're in the Epistles, on Monday the Law, Tuesday History, and so on. And some days you're reading a few chapters, and, another, and other days you may be reading six or seven chapters, so you, you would need to have some flexibility with that one. And then there's the Old and New Testament, um, and you're in the Old and New Testament almost every day, and you read through the Bible once in a year. And if you've never read through the Bible ever, ever, and maybe even a new believer, that might be one that you might consider. Um, but I do want to say, if you have any questions or you can't pick one, please come and talk to uh, Chris, Suzanne, or myself, and we might like kind of talk to you and then help you pick one out if you don't have one. The fifth one that we have is a new one that we added this year. It's called the Discipleship Journal. You're always in the Old and New Testament. You read everything in the Word once a year, but you're scheduled, you're, you know, the schedule that you have is for 25 days or so. So if you need to catch up, you have about five days or so to, to catch up, and that one might be kind of nice. 
uh, for some of you, or that's the time you do your well, some Wellspring homework or, or look at these resources. But pick the one you like, and you can cut it out of here and put it in your Bible and use it as a bookmark if that works for you. I have an app on my iPad that I use. So whatever works for you, okay? Um, so your first assignment is to pick a plan and get started, if you're not already, by October 1st. So you have a little bit of time. And if you're an overachiever, pick it and get going, and maybe you'll finish early. Um, and we'll talk, to, talk about more with you about what to do if you fall behind. Now, in addition to reading through the Word in a year, there will be homework that will go with each lesson, and assignments are due the next time we meet, usually. And these assignments may include some application questions for us to evaluate our life in light of the Wellspring disciplines. And many times, you know, these questions can be penetrating. You know, they can even be a little uncomfortable to answer sometimes. Um, our goal is not to make you feel uncomfortable at all. Our goal is to help us apply what we're learning on a heart level. And it's not meant to be an academic assignment at all. So just hang in there. And if you don't know an answer to a question, that's okay. It's really okay. It's just to help us, you know, get to thinking on a, on a heart level. And your homework will be turned in to your discussion group leader. And, and that might really be uncomfortable for you as you, like, bear your heart out on this homework. And then you have to give it to someone to read. Um, but our intent, again, is not to make you feel uncomfortable. But, but it will help your discussion leader get to know you, um, know how to encourage you, know how to pray for you. And you, you, you might just be really encouraged when you get your homework back and you get an encouraging comment or, or a scripture or um, know how, that she has been praying for you. So if, you, if you're uncomfortable with that or you have any questions about that, now I'm going to say you can talk to Chris Evans <laughs> or me or Suzanne. So the homework matters. Okay, We're evaluating ourselves for the purpose of seeing what God has done and what he's doing and where we need to grow and where we need to change. And, what, you know, when, when you see evidence of his grace where, where you are growing, then thank him. You know, it's an opportunity to just praise God for what he's doing. All right, so as long as we're talking about homework, let's go ahead and look at, you can pull out the homework for uh, this week that you should have picked up over there on the table. And I just want to say it's better to get started early than, say, Wednesday night. That's kind of what I'm prone to do, and then I get myself in trouble. So it's just start, start on it early. Work on it you know, throughout the week. Put it in your Bible if that's helpful. Maybe work on a question or two at a time. Um, what you have picked up is a worship, a songbook of worship songs. Sometimes in your homework... One of, the, one of the assignments or the questions might be open up your worship book and sing or read the words to a particular song. And we've just found that is so helpful and so great to be able to just worship, sing to the Lord. Um, so that's why you have your songbook. And uh, it's just another tool with very rich, rich words available for you to worship. With this first assignment... Uh, we want to we take a, an opportunity to look at what God's Word says about itself 
that's what you'll see there. And so we'll see the importance and value and the beauty and power of his word because understanding the treasure that we have in his word can really help and motivate us to know him and draw near to him. So we are going to be going through Psalm 119 throughout your homework. There will be some questions just about every week from from Psalm 119. And this this week it's from Psalm 19. Um, so that doesn't confuse you. But before you start, we always go before the Lord. Like Scott said, this is not meant to be academic at all. Um, Questions, so on your homework, questions one through three, you'll just be looking at some scripture and observing certain things. And then the fourth question there is the one I really want to talk to you about. It's a series of questions. And when you see a series of questions like that all in one question, the point is not to have you answer every single one of those questions unless you want to, but it's not an interrogation. Okay, it is, it's, the questions are there to help you understand what is meant by um, when we say reflect. It's just there to help you start thinking about the question. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so for the first week, we're, we're just looking at Psalm 19, and then from, from there on, from the week um, forward, we're going to be looking at Psalm 119. Thank you. Um, so, does that make sense? So, just it's just to help get you thinking. Um, I am just about out of time. I am out of time. But I want to say, if you've never had the habit, um, been in the habit of reading God's Word daily to meet with Him, you know, and you've you've tried in the past and, and you've struggled, and there's maybe just some fear, a failure in that. Like here, I go again, and I'm really afraid that I'm going to fail, then it's really just a good opportunity to identify that, you know, acknowledge it before the Lord and apply the gospel um, to your heart. You're not who you once were. You're in this mixed condition, you know, and ask God for his grace. We, we never stop with fear. We don't stop with fear or apprehension. We look to our Savior who loves us. And he welcomes us, and he died for us so that we might be forgiven and freed from um, slavery, freed from slavery to sin and fear, so we can confess and repent. He already knows, right? He already knows. So we just confess it. And um, remember, we're adopted as his beloved children, and he wants us to draw near. And we have his spirit, and we have his grace to grow in him. All right, another component is discussion groups. We're going to meet every week in a discussion group, and we're just going to discuss homework. We're going to get to know one another. We're going to build relationships, pray for one another. And as you see, you have, a, you have that list of whose discussion group you're in, and we'll all meet next week and, and get to know one another then. But she, but she will collect your assignments. She will encourage the group to be praying for one another. But caring for one another, here's a point I really want to make. Caring for one another is not just your discussion group leader's responsibility. It's everyone's. It's our responsibility to care for one another, the body caring for the body. So reach out to one another in your group and encourage one another. Reach out to everyone here at Wellspring. All right, so the components of Wellspring are that we are going to be together in fellowship 
and worship and teaching from God's word about the disciplines and then discussion group. And then on your own, there's a reading plan that, that we want you to pick by October 1st. There'll be other homework assignments and that we're going to pray and encourage one another. So I hope you're excited about the year before you. We pray that your hearts are ready to be strengthened, maybe even challenged. It's our prayer that as we shepherd our hearts with God's word to get to the God of the word, that we will make much of Jesus, our Savior, in, in our lives as we display the work of the gospel to a lost and dying world who desperately needs to hear the hope we have in Christ, right? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. It is such an encouraging morning to think about um, what you have done and what you are doing in and through this ministry. Lord, I pray that we would be careful with our hearts and that we would leave here encouraged, Lord, to draw near to you through your word. Thank you for Scott. Thank you for the women that are serving so faithfully over in Wellspring Kids. And again, we just pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work with those children. Lord, I pray that these women leave here encouraged and spurred on. And Lord, I, I pray that you would just protect our health during um, the upcoming season of flus and that they would not be discouraged, Lord, if, if there is sickness in their home. But thank you that we have an opportunity to listen online and to, to keep up that way. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, I have one more thing.